0: Hello, this is Doug Hadaway. Welcome to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help you achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. Priya Jayachandran is Chief Executive Officer of National Housing Trust, a nonprofit with a 30-year legacy of building the future while preserving the past. She leads a passionate team with a vision of helping everyone, everywhere, live in a neighborhood they're proud to call home. Priya took the helm in 2018 in her first role as a CEO. She took the reins from a founder who led the organization for three decades. On this edition of Achieve Great Things, we'll talk with Priya Jayachandran about her organization's journey to refresh the way it communicates. We'll explore lessons you can use to think about your own organization's brand, whether you're launching a startup or revitalizing a legacy. Priya, welcome to Achieve Great Things. Thank you. Our listeners really love to learn from the experiences of leaders like you. So thank you so much for speaking with us today. And you work on an issue near and dear to many hearts um, at a time when so many people are facing what you've called an affordability crisis. It's a complicated issue. The National Housing Trust has clearly made great strides what's a story you can tell us that illustrates the power of your approach and gives people hope around this complicated issue?
1: Sure, maybe I'll give two examples. We've been around for 30 to 40 years, still a little debate over when we actually got started. So I'll just say over 30 years. And early on in our tenure, we were created because at that time, the pressing affordable housing problem of the day was one of preservation. That time we were building enough housing, but in the 90s, you were somewhat suddenly at the end of the original expiry of a lot of the housing subsidy programs that were created in the 60s and 70s. Fast forward 30, 40 years, policymakers back then effectively kicked the can down the road and said somebody else's problem, and now that time was up. And we helped elevate the issue of affordable housing preservation. And through our leadership, along with others, we were able to get legislation enacted that helped a lot of that housing remain affordable through technical solutions, But I think more generally, we helped elevate the concept of housing preservation. And I use that example because, kind of come full circle, we are at a moment where, as a country, we now have both a production and a preservation crisis. We are no longer building enough housing, and that's a huge problem. And you have a lot of policymakers, cities, and states focused on producing new affordable housing. You see it probably most acutely in California. That's all well and good and they should be focused. But at the same time, sometimes right now, you're seeing that they're focused at the expense of preservation. And so it's the new shiny thing is we need to produce affordable housing. That's all well and good. But if you're losing housing at the same time that you're creating housing, you're effectively treading water. You're not you're not getting anywhere. And so I think that our history of highlighting the need for preservation was both ahead of its time, but also still relevant
0: and the word preservation here is obviously a key one it's speaking to preserving the affordability
1: that's and right. also it, the buildings it is and i think that We've tried, and I think you know your team is a you know, part of our communications work. Is I would argue also preserving the dignity. Mm-hmm. I think historically, you're right. It was about preserving affordability. Maybe even more, it was about preserving a, a certain program or a certain contract. Mm-hmm. I think as communications, and we've evolved, we've tried to make it a little bit more user friendly and a little bit more. Uh, broad, And so I think we're trying to preserve somebody's home. We're trying to preserve their dignity. We're right. pres- trying to preserve potentially their building, maybe their subsidy contract, using it a little bit more broadly.
0: Right. And you mentioned working with the Hathaway team. Let's dive into that. Um, you worked with our team, colleagues of mine, as part of our pro bono program, and you applied in 2021 when you said in your application, the organization was at an inflection point. Tell us what was going on. And as you know, the the conversation here is sharing lessons from your journey of refreshing your brand and the way the organization communicates for those who are listening, who might be thinking, oh yeah, we we might want to do this. So what was going on with your organization? What opened your eyes to the need to, to take a fresh approach to the way you communicate?
1: Sure. I joined the organization at the beginning of 2018, succeeding uh, effectively a founder who had been at the organization for 26 years. And I like to joke that um, succeeding a founder, it's like reverse dog years. So I had been in my role three years, and I would say that's like for a regular leader not succeeding a founder, maybe like one year for a regular leader. It takes three years in succeeding a founder to do some of that backfill and infrastructure and setting the organization up to then start to think about the future. There's a lot of maybe structural work that you have to do. And by early 2021, I'd been in the role three years and so had, the good news done a lot of that. And so was now at a point that I could be a little bit more forward looking and external looking and think about who is it we want to be? What's the story we want to tell the world? What's the impact we want to have? And I think that our brand and our communication, it was obvious that it needed an update. My predecessor was great for the organization was a different person. He was one generation older, a male, Uh, white, and had a different identity. And a lot of the story that we told and projected really reflected him. And the composition of the organization had really changed, not just me, but the staff. And so many of the words, the images, the look that we projected reflected a prior time and didn't resonate with me or the rest of our our staff and so wanted to tackle that and and candidly we had budgeted for a couple years to maybe do the website or maybe do the logo But I think in my heart of hearts, I knew that we needed to look at it holistically. But candidly, we didn't have the budget to do that. And so I didn't want to just do this piecemeal approach. We had this this chance, but we didn't necessarily, couldn't afford to do the big thing. And so when I saw the application, I just jumped at it and, and poured my heart into it of what we really needed, something that spoke to my vision for the organization, but more than me, the staff, the current team and board that are very different than they were when we developed the the brand that we had before.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when people hear, hear the word brand, they equate that with the logo. <laughs> you clearly had a lot more in your mind, just from what you just said here for those again for those listening like what does all this mean what does this look like how do you think about it what elements did you look at um beyond the logo which was part of that refresh and what does the brand do what does it do for the organization in your mind
1: yeah so for me i guess i would say that a brand is the external expression or manifestation of who you are and what you want to be, and how, if you're a nonprofit, how you want to impact the world. Mm-hmm. What's the the message and the impact that you want to leave behind? And I think it's evocative. It, some of it's words, some of it's a feeling that is evoked through words, images, ideas, pictures, colors, fonts, uh, all of that. And I think that it was it would have been easy to tackle that website or that logo but i think that i knew enough not not a communications expert not a brand expert had worked for a couple big organizations in the in the for profit private sector to know that a good brand pays returns in spades. And so never thought that we would have the benefit of that. because candidly, I assume you just had to pay for it and we just didn't have that budget, but was really excited and wanted to think about the whole package. And what is that, that story we want to tell the world and why are we special?
0: And you mentioned, as you were talking about it, starting with your team, it sounded like you wanted it to really the way you were telling your story, the way you were showing up in the world, you, you wanted to resonate with your team first. Because a lot of times people think of it as external, but in fact, it's important internally too. What, what are your thoughts about that?
1: That's, that's absolutely right. For us, we're a small, tight-knit organization. We're 37 people. We've had a lot of staff, tenure and longevity with the organization. And I think that in some ways for us, our primary most important stakeholder was our team. They do the work, they, they show up and I think, And but there've been new voices and new people and really wanted something that people could feel proud of and also felt like reflected their vision. I'm, I'm always impressed by this. Next generation, I'm, I'm, I guess, technically Gen X, and so many of our team are millennials or Gen Z and constantly impressed at how many of them are primarily motivated about the impacting the world that they want, Um, rightly or wrongly, I'd say my generation, when we came out of college, We took the job that paid the best, and so many of the people on our team could be doing other things and earning more. They're there because they are passionate about our mission and what we do and wanted to reflect that in in our brand and have something that really reflected what they do, why they're there, and how they want to show up externally.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting Is when you get that right according to the studies of motivation and productivity and all that stuff when you get the purpose when you articulate the purpose well it really does become a daily motivator for the the people in the organization as well as attracting people to support the work um well, let's talk about the process you went through um, which might help others who are thinking about how they might go about this um And working with a Hadaway team and lots of there's lots of great organizations that do brand work of different kinds. So I'm going to focus on how we go about it, because that's what you did. The first step was uh, establish strategic focus, determining your priority audiences. And that's interesting, an interesting question at an organization at an inflection point. I was wondering if, you know, did new thinking show up there as far as you were thinking about your audiences? So what did you all determine? What audiences are most important to you? How did you go about determining that?
1: We did that in a couple ways. I think internally, we talked about it outside of the Hathaway team. But as I recall, one of the first steps that your team led us through was an all staff strategy summit. In fact, two, we started with all staff and then a second one, which was a subset of that, and literally asked that question, who are your most important stakeholders, and what could? could have been hard for an organization like ours, because despite being 37 people, we've got five unique businesses. Mm. And so in some ways, they've got their own stakeholders, but there was relatively quick alignment around who our stakeholders are. And to your question about was there a change? Absolutely. Across the organization. There was unanimous agreement that one of the most important stakeholders are affordable housing residents, and candidly that wasn't always the case, mm-hmm. I think we always worked for the benefit of the residents, but I don't know that we saw them directly as our stakeholder and that today very much for the people that are part of our team that's the most important stakeholder Mm -hmm. I think the other two uh, I might need your team to uh, (laughs) correct me on this were funders we depend for better or for worse heavily on philanthropy and peer organizations we play in the sandbox of affordable housing and a lot of who we're working with and collaborating with, in some ways appealing to, are our peer organizations. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, as with many, and for those who are thinking about this, you've got the people who are served by the programs that you have, whose lives are most directly touched by it, obviously have a stake in it. The people who do the work and help with the work, starting with your team and those peers and allies in the field, particularly the approach you all take it's very multi dimensional, you have to play in the sandbox with a lot of people. And of course, those the people who pay for it. Um, lots of organizations focus primarily on the latter, Right where the money comes from and that's where the messaging points to and you get in this, what I call follow the funder and you start using the lingo of philanthropy or government that can sound very different and often another planet (laughs) from the people who are doing the work every day and working with those people in the community. Interesting. The second step is to learn what motivates those stakeholders to support the work to do the work to pay for it to that sort of thing. Um, And we call those audience insights. Uh, What's one important insight that you learned about your audiences and what what drives people to support this kind of work?
1: It's a new leader, particularly when you succeed somebody who's been there for a really long time. There's a temptation to say, I want to throw out the past. I want to keep some elements of it. But here's the new vision that I'm going to bring in. And here's, here's all that's new. And I think for me, it was gratifying and resonating, helpful, helpful in the audience insights to see that that core of what we do, collaboration, preservation, and taking that multidisciplinary approach, things that we know, but I wondered, felt like, do people really rec- outside recognize those things? And turns out they do. Mm. And I think developing a brand that leaned into what our strengths were both historically and going forward really felt authentic um as opposed to just changing it for change sake
0: yeah yeah i was looking at we call that a brand formula where we, are, we articulate those those insights on what motivates people but then how do we articulate those and it says you're a team of collaborative community builders building a better future by preserving the past and doing that by uniting practice and policy. Interesting. So you're saying that wasn't all new, a lot of that really was authentic to use a buzzword in the in the space we work in, meaning true to sort of the roots of the organization?
1: Absolutely. You know, the, the policy and practice that in fact I think when we started, we maybe even had a little bit of a tagline, um, policy informed by practice. I, you know, I think that it's a little bit, and I think that's what a good brand does, is that it stays true to your roots, but it also tells a refresh story. And so I think that. It was authentic but then it also wrapped it and i think what your team helped with is to wrap it in a new a refresh narrative around it
0: mm-hmm. um those that formula or framework is meant to guide communications it becomes the touchstone for messaging and images and stories and events all kinds of things um for you and i know you're y'all are still internalizing it learning how to use it anything rise to the top like something that's guided you in the way you think about how to communicate or tell the story
1: i'd say a couple things one is maybe a a word and then another is maybe just a concept that your team taught me the the word was pride and proud and Mm. think that that it was one of the, I think you guys call them winning words and talked about proud of the work we do, proud of the impact we have, proud of the people we serve, proud of the people that are part of our team. And I think it's such a powerful word that I don't think is used enough. I'm a parent and think about you being proud that's a really when you say that you're proud of your child and I think I love that word and so simple and uh yeah, we weren't using it and so I think that that's really helpful another one of my takeaways I think came from I think it was Veronica on your team who talked about the purpose of communications being if I can get this right uh, changing attitudes, uh, awareness or asking somebody to take action yep. and I think about that now all the time um, for better or for worse whenever I read something is what is the purpose? Are we asking somebody to and so I think about that when I'm speaking or when I'm writing something what am I trying to do with this communication? Is it just awareness? Is it an attitude change or am I asking somebody to do something? And that was really powerful for me.
0: Well, Veronica will love to hear that that was a takeaway. <laughs> yeah, that's a framework that we came up with to help do exactly what you just described, to help leaders and communicators in any situation, just be strategic. What are my objectives? And that's what we call those, your communications objectives. Raising awareness about something, changing attitudes or motivating action. And that can really focus your, particularly now we're all bombarded every day, all the time. When you have somebody's attention, be strategic without you're gonna use that precious moment. The word pride stood out to me too, as I was looking at your brand manual, which is part of what you got here. And, um, that idea that you want everyone everywhere to be proud of where they live. That was clearly a really resonant idea about the mission and the aspiration of the communities. So that one word does a lot of does a lot for you. And we do you're right, we call those winning words, what are the of the 1000 things you could say? What are a few you're gonna focus on? Um. And a new logo was one of the outputs, we talked earlier about folks sometimes think brand equals logo. We haven't even talked about logo yet. Um, why was it important to you to update the logo? And any any advice or thoughts you'd have for others who might be contemplating that piece of it?
1: Uh, clearly you haven't seen our old logo, Doug, or otherwise you <laughs> wouldn't be asking the question. <laughs> that was the low-hanging fruit. Our logo was pretty tired and dated. Uh, Very vintage 90s. It hadn't been changed since we were founded in the early to mid 90s. And again, as a leader following a founder, you have to pick and choose your battles when you change things. This was probably the only case where I had zero uh, (laughs) blowback or disagreement about touching something that had been part of the Old. There was unanimous agreement among our staff, including long-serving staff, that we needed a new look. So I think that you know they might not have thought about it in the whole branding context, but the logo everyone agreed needed some help.
0: Ah, yeah, that is that is unusual. People and a lot of organizations really. I don't know, get vested in the yeah. logo just because it's been there a long time. And it is nothing to throw out without thinking about it, obviously. Uh, well, good, that was, sounds like that wasn't a, a tough hill to climb. For those who are listening and thinking about this, lots of times we overemphasize what's called the equity in the logo. I mean, that's more of the financial term. What is it worth? Um, and you can look at that. You can examine whether this symbol of the organization really is powerful and important or really not so much. Um, uh, so it's takeaway time. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to a leader who's listening to us, who's looking to rethink the way they communicate, rethink their brand like you did? What's one parting piece of advice you'd give them?
1: I'll give two. One, and I think for better or for worse, this all applies to almost everything in adult life. And that is what you put in is what you get out. Mm. So you have a real opportunity with us. We had a real gift um, from you and your team, the pro bono program. And we could have, to your earlier point, just done the logo. Uh, It takes a long time. We must have worked with your team for, I'm guessing, eight months. And to do the strategy summit, the in-depth interviews, the surveys, the comparative uh, analysis, all of that takes time. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes an impatient, just, just show me the new, the new thing. But right. I think it's worth it. If, you, if you're willing to invest that time, you're going to get a more informed product uh, at the other end. The other is lean on the experts. You've got this amazing team, I think, so often with, I think, particularly brands, because we all buy brands and see them, we all think that we're experts, and in some ways maybe we are, um, but your team really does um do this all day long and they've got an expertise they know what they're doing they're great to work with and really leaning on them to to lead us was one of the better decisions we made
0: well thanks for those kind words and i'm really uh grateful to you for the opportunity for folks at Hathaway to work with National Housing Trust because you do such great work. And that's our purpose in life is to help organizations like yours communicate. And I know a lot of listeners are gonna learn a lot hearing from a leader who's relatively new to an organization and the kind of issues and questions you are grappling with. So thank you very much for taking the time to share those insights with us.
1: Thank you, Doug, for having me.